Welcome to Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This is class number 13, entitled Choices in Pain. We continue to look at the pride cycle and the choices we make at those pivotal moments in the pride cycle. Last week, we looked at prosperity, choosing humility or pride in prosperity. Today, we look at pain. We have the same choices in pain as we do in prosperity, humility or pride. We're going to use two brothers who go through the exact same trials as illustrations of the two opposites, Nephi and Laman. In every painful moment, in every trial and experience that they went through, Nephi chose humility. He grew closer to the Lord. Laman chose pride. Those two are going to illustrate how we in our everyday decisions can grow closer to the Lord or further away from Him by how we respond to pain. So our second topic is the Book of Mormon was written for us today. We've been taking a look about Helaman. The pattern of the Lord's second coming is a phenomenal gift from the Book of Mormon. So the days before the second coming are going to be like the days before his first coming. That's why I think Helaman is such a powerful book for our day. We've been taking a look at three challenges that Helaman poses. War, secret combinations, and then Helaman talks a great deal about pride. So last week we took a look at the pride cycle. I'm going to draw a lot a little bigger this time. We start with righteousness. Now, anytime anyone chooses to be righteous, the natural consequence is going to be blessings. The Lord will bless you. And that has, we have no control over that. But he is bounteous in his blessings and continues to pour out blessings until we prosper. And I'm going to put that in a box so we can see this is a major decision moment. What do you do when prosperity comes? The natural reaction, as soon as you have prosperity, as soon as you have more, you begin to notice, I have more. Therefore, I think I'm better. And you persecute your brethren. And that is pride. Now, pride is where it's all about me, right? It's focus on me. And as soon as I start living my way, by my rules, it leads to sin. And the sad reality is, we went from righteousness to sin for what reason? Because he blessed us. That is a sad reality of Heavenly Father's children. We turn against him because he blessed us. Sin always leads to another major life moment, and that is pain. Now, not all pain is because of sin. Let me be clear. Pain comes because we live in a mortal existence. Pain is part of mortality. In fact, I just taught an entire lesson, and I've been thinking about it ever since then, that my capacity for joy is limited to how much pain I have felt. You cannot have a fullness of joy without having experienced pain. Hence, mortality is going to bring pain into our life. But not all pain is because of sin. However, all sin leads to pain. In one form or another, sin leads to pain. 
When we're in pain and we realize I can't do it myself, I can't save myself, I'm out of pain, I need to get out of pain, I need someone else's help, pain usually leads to humility. Humility leads to repentance, change, and change leads to righteousness, and the cycle continues. So last time we focused on prosperity. We focused on there's two options. There's a shortcut and one shortcut. I think I have enough colors here. One shortcut is when prosperity makes us humble. And we talked about some of the ways to do that. This is simply gratitude. This is remembering God. All of those things, it's when my prosperity makes me humble. And then I cycle this way and I avoid those. So those are the choices. More, better, persecute, or gratitude, remembering God for my blessings, and I cycle. There's my choice in prosperity. Does my more cause me to think I'm better? Or does my more humble me to bless you with it? Do I beat you up with my more or do I bless you with my more? And every one of us will have a more. More money, more righteousness, more intelligence, more children, better children, Whatever the more is, every one of you will have a more. And if you use that more to persecute your brethren instead of bless your brethren, you're choosing pride. If you use your more and out of gratitude, you remember God, you're choosing humility. Today, we're going to do this one. I started last week, so I wouldn't have to do all of it in one day. So let me remind you that there's another shortcut. For many people, pain leads to pride. Now let's do that one because that's going to be very fair. That's going to be very common. Nope, I'm going to need that. Let's do that one. We're going to see today that the Book of Mormon begins with this lesson. It fascinates me how the Book of Mormon begins. And I think that there's a divine hand in that because we don't have Mormon's account of the beginning, do we? We don't have the book of Lehi. That one was lost so that we deliberately had Nephi's account and that's how the Book of Mormon was gonna begin. Why, oh why, does the Lord begin the Book of Mormon with this story? And the green is gonna be Laman. How Laman will always respond. Pain causes Laman to follow the same path. So let's see that path. Turn with me to Mosiah chapter 10, 12 through 17. Mosiah 10, 12 through 17. This was the tradition of the Lamanites. This is what Laman always did. And this is what we often do. This is the green path. This is when pain causes me to become like layman. Now, step number one, notice they were a wild and a ferocious, ah, oh, this just drives me crazy. I'm sorry, I just can't live with this. 
Okay, now I can read it. They were a wild and a ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, believing in the tradition of their fathers, which is this. You want to be a modern-day Lamanite? This is the tradition. This is how you become a Lamanite. And it starts with what word? Every time you're in pain, you feel wronged. Wronged. Sorry, got to fix one more. Wronged. That has a sound. The sound is, eh. and we make it. Children, adults, teenagers, we make that sound all the time. My children make it all the time. Eh. That's not fair. Eh. You're wronging me. And we do it with God. If you don't bless me, if my life has pain in it, eh. and we whine. I shouldn't have been treated that way. I don't deserve this. All these phrases you hear, right? What did I do to deserve this? Is a fancy way of saying, eh, eh. and what you're really saying is, God, you're wronging me. I am being wronged. Now, tell me what happens next. Look at the next few verses. After you feel wronged, so, oh, we're gonna do this in green. After feeling wronged, The next one is, I feel wrath. I'm angry. I get angry at mom and dad. I get angry at officials. I get angry at referees. I get angry at judges. I get angry at the people who I feel are wronging me because I don't deserve to be treated like this. And that's why people get angry at God. I taught seminary for many years and I had to deal, uh, when I was a principal of the seminary, I had to deal with the kid who didn't want to be here. And let me tell you how we, it played out. Ready? I hate my parents. They're doing something to me that I don't like. So it's not fair. I don't want to be here. I want to hurt them. So I want to take something that's important to them, like the gospel, and rebel against it. I'm not against the gospel. I just hate my parents. And they were angry at mom and dad and taking it out on me in the seminary because they didn't want to be there. They were angry, they felt wronged, and they wanted to hurt someone. And I saw this behavior so many times. Wronged, wrath, which leads to 17, hate and wanting to hurt. I want to destroy. I want to destroy. So hate and hurt. And when people want to hurt God, what do you do? How do you hurt God? You walk away from his commandments. You abandon his commandments. And that's the Lamanite procedure. That's, that's this shortcut. Wronged, wrath, hate and hurt. Now, I can't use green or red. I've used, choose orange. Let's do this one. How does pain lead to humility? Well, who's going to, who's going to be the model of that? 
Here's the brilliance of the Book of Mormon. Who's going to model that? Nephi. Two brothers go through the exact same experiences. One will always feel wronged, get angry, and want to hurt God. And the other one will choose a different path. Now, I'm going to illustrate Nephi, but let me show you the pattern in the scriptures in another place. Turn to Doctrine and Covenants section 10. This is the best place for me. This is the best place to show this. Doctrine and Covenants 136. To Brigham Young in winter quarters. We had a whole lot of painful experiences behind us. And we've got a whole lot of painful experiences ahead of us. 136, verse 31, 32, and 33. All right, speaking of pain, speaking of mortality and pain and resistance and trial, the Lord says, my people must be tried in all things that they may be prepared to receive the glory that I have for them, even the glory of Zion. And he that will not bear chastisement, take it well, take pain the right way. You can't have the kingdom. If you don't respond to pain the right way, you're not worthy of the kingdom. Now, what's he going to say next? Every time, the Lord's not going to drop that type of a statement without doing what? Let me show you what that means, right? He'll always do that. This is what I mean by bearing chastisement. Put these two verses in order. Let's say the line I drew here, right here. This is the moment we hit the painful experience, okay? This is the moment of trial. This is the moment the bad thing happened. Now, what's first? Shelby, what do you got? Humble yourself and call upon God. What direction am I, am I going from God here? I'm walking away from him, right? And what am I doing here? I'm running towards him. This step is humble yourself and call upon God. That's how pain leads to humility. Humble yourself and call upon God. Now jump down to here. If you humble yourself and call upon God, you receive the Spirit. You receive the Spirit. Now tell me what the Spirit does. Do you see? So I humbled, I called upon God. The Spirit is sent forth to enlighten the humble. So this is me. Now tell me what the Spirit's going to do. Open my eyes so that I can see. I don't know if you understand the significance of that doctrine. There are things you only get to see in pain. I want you to think about that. There are truths you only see if you are humble in pain. There's the process. Humble yourself. The Spirit comes and enlightens the humble. 
and opens my eyes that I may see. Can I just ask, tell me one thing you have seen clearly in pain that you would not have seen any other way. John? Okay, I see others. Pain has allowed me to see others in a different way. Give me another one. Okay, that to me is the big one. And this is, this is, sorry, I just get wound up about this. There are things you only understand about God in the darkness. There are lessons you learn about Heavenly Father only in pain if you've been humbled. Anyone willing to share? I'm gonna, Emma, let's hear it. I think some of the hardest points in my life a lot of on my mission, because missions are really hard. <laughs> there was one point I was close to going home, but I was so depressed. I just went through such a rough time. And it was, I think it was in those points that I really dug the deepest and I saw the most miracles and, and I was able to get the help I needed and finish my mission happy. And it was in those moments where I didn't just know God was there, but I like felt him beside me. And when I said my prayers, I knew he was listening. And, and like, I don't think I would have sought for that closeness if I had been, you know, fine. Yeah. So I was able to learn a lot about his character and the nature in which he cares for me because I needed it. Yep. Everyone I know has been able to tell me something they learned about God in pain that they wouldn't have learned any other way. Can I share one that means a lot to me? I can't imagine being 14-year-old girl being kidnapped by a 50-year-old man and raped daily by him. That's what Elizabeth Smart went through. She was kidnapped at age 14. He was 50. And every single day, in the middle of that, she had one of the most incredible experiences. I keep in my office a little yellow cup to remember this moment. Let me share her moment. This is from her biography. She was they were taken up into the mountains. It was summertime. All day long, we sat and cooked in the summer heat. Mitchell checked the water containers once again, but all of them were dry. I thought that the being hungry was difficult, but it was nothing compared to this. Nothing compared to the burning in my throat. Nothing compared to the drive to find something to drink. And I wasn't alone. Barzi and Mitchell felt it too. I could see it in their eyes. I could hear it in the dryness of their voices. Whatever had driven Mitchell to stay away from the bottom of the canyon must have been very powerful indeed. The day dragged on. Hot, miserable, dry desert heat. I was beginning to lose my energy. None of us wanted to eat. I begged Mitchell again to go down and get some water. I begged him to let, him, let me off the cable. I offered to carry the containers if he was too tired to carry them himself. I tried to understand why he couldn't go, but none of it made sense. Evening came. We went to bed. I fell into a restless sleep. I was awakened in the middle of the night. Sitting up, I looked around. 
The moonlight filtered through the nylon fabric, casting the inside of the tent in a pale yellow light. Mitchell was asleep beside me. Barzy was lying next to him. Both of them were breathing deeply. Mitchell's throat rattled with every breath. I looked around in the moonlight. Something had awakened me. Turning, I looked towards the front of the tent. There was a yellow cup sitting beside my pillow. I leaned toward it, checked it in the moonlight. It was filled to the very brim with water. I stared at it a moment, not believing it was real. I reached out to touch it. The cup was cold. I pulled my hand back and looked around. Was I dreaming? Was I crazy? I quickly turned to Mitchell and Barzi. Neither of them had moved. I listened. A gentle breeze blew through the tops of the trees, swaying in the night. I turned back to the water, slowly reached out to touch it once again. It was as cold as ice and filled to the top. I picked it up and drank it. The water cooled my throat and filled my stomach. It was cold and clear and wonderful, the best tasting water I had ever had. After drinking, I stared at the empty cup for a long time before laying on my head back on the ground. Where did the cup, where did the water come from? I have no explanation other than the, the water came from God. I know we didn't have a drop of water in the camp. I know that neither Mitchell nor Barzi would have awakened to give me any water, even if they had any left to give. And this water was fresh and cold like it had just come from the spring. I never told them about the water. I never talked about it at all. But over the next few days, I thought a lot about what had happened. Why did God do it? Why, why did it happen? What was God trying to say? Would I have died without the water? Certainly not. As thirsty as I felt and as terrible as it was, I wasn't teetering on the edge of a life or death situation. And I wasn't alone. Mitchell and Barzi needed water too. Mitchell wasn't going to stay on top of the mountain and let us die of thirst. Eventually, he'd have to go down to the stream. So why did God send me the water? Because he loved me. And he wanted me to know. He wanted me to know that he was still near. He wanted me to know that he controlled the earth and all the heavens and all things that were in his hands. And if he could move the mountains then he could do this thing for me. To him, it was a small thing, a terribly easy thing to do. But for me, it was as powerful as if he had parted the sea. This experience reminded me once again that God had not deserted me. He was aware of my suffering and loneliness. And that assurance gave me hope. It helped me keep my faith and gave me the strength that I needed to go on. You don't get to see that unless you do this in pain. Those are not lessons you get in prosperity. Those are lessons reserved for pain. If you humble yourself, seek and receive the spirit and you see. Let me give you one more. Uh, Martin and Willie Handcart Company. This is years later, he's in Cedar City. They're criticizing the brethren for letting them go out so late in the year. Francis Webster stands up and says, I ask you to stop this criticism. 
you are discussing a matter you know nothing about. Cold historic facts mean nothing here, for they give you no proper interpretation of the questions involved. Mistake to send the handcart company out so late in the season? Yes, but I was in that company. We suffered beyond anything you can imagine, and many of us died of exposure and starvation. But did you ever hear a survivor of that company utter a word of criticism? No one of that company ever apostatized or left the church because every one of us came through with the absolute knowledge that God lives. For we became acquainted with him in our extremities. I have pulled a handcart when I was so weak and weary from illness and lack of food that I could hardly put one foot ahead of another. I have looked ahead and seen a patch of sand or a hill slope, and I've said I can only go that far, and there I must give it up, for I can't pull the load through. I have gone on to that sand, and when I reached it, the cart began pushing me. I have looked back many times to see who was pushing my cart, but my eyes saw no one. I knew that the angels of God were there. Was I sorry that I chose to come by handcart? No, neither then nor any minute of my life since. And then I love this line. The price we paid to become acquainted with God was a privilege to pay. And I am thankful that I was privileged to come in the Martin Handcart Company. There are things you only see in pain if you respond humbly. I think we need to add one more. I see you. I see him. Tell me what pain teaches me that nothing else will teach me. I see. I see me. I see me. I see me more clearly. Can I give you my favorite example? Joseph Smith said, in Liberty Jail. This is the letter he wrote from Liberty Jail. Uh, let me start the line ahead of that. This is the letter. You will learn by the time you've read this, and if you don't learn it, you may learn it, that walls and irons and doors and creaking, creaking hinges and half-scared-to-death guards and jailers grinning like some damned spirits lest an innocent man should make his escape to bring to light the damnable deeds of a murderous mob. All the pain that I've been through. All those pains are calculated in their very nature to make the soul of an honest man feel stronger than the powers of hell. Tell me what he's saying to you. Tell me what that means to you. Abby? Um, Charles just teaches that I know how strong I am. I know what it takes to push me down. And I'm no wimp. Woman in my ward beat breast cancer. Her mom died of breast cancer, so her, her awareness was really high. When she saw the initial sign, she went in, she got tested, she beat breast cancer. It was a hard, longful, painful challenge. About a year or so later, her husband lost his job. And I remember watching her reaction. She testified in, in, in fast and testimony. You know what her reaction was to her husband losing his job? 
just like that. <laughs> because why? What, what, she, what did she say to this challenge? I beat breast cancer. This isn't going to beat me up. How do you know that you're that strong? Only pain. Now, do you see the value of having these moments in our lives? If you respond this way, humble, spirit, eyes open, see. Now, here's what we're going to do. This is the brilliance of the Book of Mormon. We're going to take two young men, two brothers, and we're going to walk through seven painful experiences. One is going to do this every single time. One is going to do this every single time. Now, don't you think it's a safe assumption that at some point, Nephi and Laman were at the same spiritual spot? Maybe we have to go back really far, but at some point, weren't they all here? By the end of 1 Nephi, what's the distance between them? Now, if you ask me, that is one of the most powerful messages the Scriptures teach. And that's the first book of the Book of Mormon. That's how the Book of Mormon begins is the story of two brothers going through painful experiences so that we can see how they responded. Was it that Nephi went through good trials and Laman went through bad trials? Is that the point? Because why? They went through the same trial. So tell me what's the message of 1 Nephi? You've read it a hundred times. What's the message of 1 Nephi? How you respond to pain determines your character. In fact, go to the very first verse of the Book of Mormon. This is so significant. The very first verse of the Book of Mormon. Now, was Nephi a teenager when he wrote this verse? No, when did he write 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 1? How old was he? Dad is dead. They're in the promised land. They've separated from the Nephites and the, from the Lamanites. He's old. He's looking back on his life when he writes 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 1. And notice how he begins the Book of Mormon. Looking back on his life, what does Nephi see? Three things shaped his character. Three things made him the man that he was. I can see it now. It's clear now. What are the three things? Number one. His family. Would you say your family's had a tremendous influence on your life? Yes. Second thing, what does he say last? Or third, what does he say third? What's had a tremendous influence on his life? The things of God. Is that true of your life? My family and God has been two of the greatest influences of my life. And what does Nephi list second? Looking back on his life, what does he recognize? I am who I am. I got here because of how I responded to my afflictions. So let's watch it. Ready? Now, I'm going to do this fast because I know who my audience is. If I, were, if I had a younger, inexperienced audience, I'd march you through the scriptures, but I know that you know them. So I will list the trial. You tell me four things. How did Nephi respond? How did Laman respond? What is the evidence of Laman's fall? And what is the evidence of Nephi's growth? So how did Nephi respond? How did Laman respond? What was the result for Nephi? What was the result for Laman? Now, shoot, I forgot my bats. 
I got them out and I didn't bring them in. I have a series of little baseball bats, all the way from little teeny to big. We're gonna measure Layman's fall by how big of a bat Heavenly Father has to hit him with to get him to do the right thing. If he doesn't go to America, the whole Book of Mormon story is totally different. Would you agree? We gotta get him to America. So every time he says, I'm not going, Heavenly Father has to get out a bat and hit him over the head. Okay, I'm going. And the, 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 we're gonna measure his fall by how big of a bat Heavenly Father has to get out each time. Ready? Okay. Let's write the seven. Which one would I, is better to erase? The circle, the pride cycle? Okay. Okay, how about that much of it? Because then we can still see that other side. Okay, trial number one, leave Jerusalem. Leave home. Leave your friends, leave your house, leave your life, and go live in the desert. Tell me how Nephi responds. And I think this is so important. Tell me how Nephi responds. Did he want to go? You don't have to be thrilled with your trials. I don't think Heavenly Father expects me to jump up and down for each trial that comes into my life. But tell me how Nephi responded. Go to 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 16. Notice he's going to walk through this exact pattern. Verse 16, tell me what he does. He cried unto the Lord. Tell me what the Lord did. Did his heart need to be softened? Which means he didn't want to go. I know you've had a trial that you weren't excited about. And it's, I think that's okay to not be excited about it. But the, the key is that Nephi went towards God. He humbled himself and the Lord softened his heart and he didn't rebel. Now, what was Laman's response to leaving Jerusalem? Well, can't do all of them. This he spake because of the stiff-neckedness of Laman and Lemuel. For behold, they did murmur in many things. They complained that their dad was a visionary, and they called their dad foolish. They murmured against him. So there's the reaction. Now think about your last painful experience. Which one is more a representative of how you handled the pain? Nephi or Laman? It's easy to be a layman, isn't it? Pain hurts. And quite often we whine and complain when we're in pain. And we murmur. Now, what is the evidence of layman's fall? What's the first bat Heavenly Father has to pick up to hit him with? It won't work on the boat. But it will work now. What's the first bat? A lecture from dad. A lecture from dad works. Now, what's interesting is when they're on their boat, they get a lecture from dad. And does it work? Because why? They're a lot colder by then. But a lecture from dad gets them going. Okay, what's the evidence of Nephi's growth? Tell me what happens at the end of chapter 2. What's the Lord already doing? 
Nephi, you're my leader. You're going to lead them. He was already chosen. So after one trial, tell me where Laman and Lemuel are now. You see it? Because why? Tell me why. How they responded to trial. Okay, number two. After they go out three days, the Lord says, go back for the plates. Nephi's response, I will go and do. Because why? I don't, I don't see a way. I don't see a plan. I don't see a way forward. But I know that the Lord will provide a way. Tell me his attitude. Is he scared? Is this an easy assignment? He's scared to death. And yet, what's his attitude? I know the Lord's going to provide a way. I don't need to see it because I know it's going to happen. What's Laman's response? Now, tell me what Laman does. How, what's the evidence of Laman's fall this time? He called his dad a visionary man in number one. Now he's beating his brother. What does it take to get Laman back on course? End of chapter three, an angel comes. An angel comes and smites them. I'm using the wrong one because look what I did in my, sorry, these are my old scriptures. Let me get my new scriptures. Look what I did in, <laughs> see what I did. <laughs> There's my bat. <laughs> Every time you see my bat, that's what the Lord's doing to get Laman to get back on course. So an angel comes and gets him on course. But notice what he does. As soon as the angel leaves, tell me what the Lord's, what, what's Laman doing? Now, are you, I'm sorry, but are you that kind of person? When someone encourages you and says everything's going to be fine, you walk away saying, oh, I don't know how. You're a layman. You're choosing this path. And you are growing in darkness. It's easy to do, isn't it? How in the world is that going to happen? Versus, I'll go and do. The Lord will provide a way. Now tell me what happens to Nephi. What is the evidence of Nephi's growth here? I put them all in red. He lectures his brethren, but I want to focus on what I've underlined. Notice what I've underlined. I was led by the Spirit. I was constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit said, the Spirit said, Tell me what's happening to Nephi. How far apart are Laman and Nephi after two trials? Because of how they responded. Number three, Ishmael's daughters. They got to go back for, can I just say the women? Is that? Now, Laman and Lemuel have no problem going to get them, right? When do they have a problem? Bringing them into the wilderness. Tell me, what does Laman do this time that he's never done before? He is going to leave Nephi to die. Now, will he kill him himself? Will he try that in the future? 
But right now, he's just going to leave him to die. Laman is always responding. So go to chapter 7, 1 Nephi 7. Look at Laman's response. It's always negative. Verse 6, they rebelled against me. They were hard in their hearts, blind in their minds. They've forgotten the angel. They have forgotten. This is Nephi chewing them out. And as soon as he stops chewing them out, verse 16, they were angry with me. And it came to pass that they did lay their hands upon me. And behold, with their, they were exceedingly wroth. And they did bind me with strong cords and sought to take away my life, leaving me in the wilderness. Now, what's the bat? It won't work on the boat, but it works here. Tears of a woman. The tears and the pleadings of a woman soften their hearts. And to Nephi's credit, what does he do when they forget, when they repent, when they repent? He frankly forgave them all that they had done. What kind of man is he becoming? Look at that one. I should read 18 with it. What does Nephi do? He breaks the bands. After three trials, how far apart are Nephi and Laman? Because? Attitude. That's it. Does it fascinate you that this is how the Book of Mormon starts? Now, we're going to pause and do the whole tree of life thing. We've got Lehi's version. We've got Nephi's version. So now we're going to jump to 16. And the next trial is the bow. The broken bow. Now this is, talk about the Book of Mormon making it absolutely practical how to live. Tell me what the message is. Nephi breaks a bow. They starve. Even Lehi complains. Everyone's upset. And Nephi does what? He just makes another bow. That's how you respond to trial. You don't need to whine. You don't need to complain. It doesn't help you. You just make another bow. Whatever your trial is. Oh, I broke my leg. Okay? You put a cast on it. And then you keep going. You got a flat tire. You pump it up. So many times we let it get to us. And Nephi's response is simply what? Just make a new one. Now, let me contrast that with the next one. Because this one is a focus on Nephi, and this is a focus on Laman through the daughters of Ishmael. This trial, this is the death of Ishmael. And these two are some of the most practical advice I could give you from the Book of Mormon. Let me show you how the daughters of Ishmael respond to the death of their father. Chapter 16. This is chapter 16 after all the tree of life stuff. Okay, chapter 16. First of all, notice Nephi's response. He just builds another bow. Now, the daughters of Ishmael, all right, starting in verse 35. I'll turn the, as soon as we turn the page, this will get a little bit clearer. But notice what it says. It came to pass that the daughters of Ishmael did mourn exceedingly because of the loss of their father. Now, that's today's problem. But watch what we so easily do in pain. Today's problem is my dad is dead. And that's a weight on my shoulders. 
And in that pain, what do we often do? And because of their affliction in the wilderness, what are they doing? Because today is hard. What are they doing? They're digging up every day that's been hard. They're reliving all of the pain from the past because today is hard. My dad is dead and I'm remembering how bad my life has been. And they did murmur against my father because he had brought them out of the land of Jerusalem. That was yesterday's problem. Listen to their complaint saying, our dad is dead. That's their present problem. Our dad is dead. But what have they added to their present problem? And we have wandered much in the wilderness and have suffered much affliction, hunger, thirst, and fatigue. They add yesterday's problem to today's problem. Now, how heavy is it? Now, what do they add? And after all this, we're going to die in the wilderness. They're adding tomorrow's problem to today and yesterday's problem. Can I give you an example? <clears throat> My 19-year-old daughter doesn't have her driver's license, and she went, she thought that was ridiculous, and I should go get my driver's license, so she started to study. I took her to the DMV, to the, license, the Bureau of Licenses, and she failed. Today's problem is I failed my driver test. I'm embarrassed, I'm 19, and I failed. Now tell me what she started to do. Tell me what she started to do. Remember everything she's ever failed at. And now the weight is growing. I've always failed. Now, now what does she do? Tell me what she does next. And I'm always going to fail. That is layman's response. And you and I do it all the time. Because of today's problem, I remember all of yesterday's problem. And I anticipate tomorrow's problem. And if I'm going to do that, verse 36. What do you do, Emma? You go back. You go home. You quit. I hate to say it, but this is where some people end their life. Because today's problem, tomorrow's problem, and today's problem, yesterday's problem, and tomorrow's problem is too much for me to handle. Now, what was Nephi's approach to this? You just build another bow. Do you see everyday life here? So let's suppose you plan for two weeks. We're going to go camping. We, we load up the car. We've got everything. And we just we pull out of the neighborhood on the way to this Disneyland. We're going to Disneyland. We're all excited. And the flat tire. There's a flat tire. Tell me what layman would do. This always happens. Every time we try to have fun, something goes wrong. We never can have fun. We're never, ever going to be able to have fun in the, in, in the future. Why in the world are we going on this trip? Therefore, let's just stay home. I'm done. Now, Nephi's response? Let's just get another tire. We can fix this. Now, can I ask a penetrating question? The last time you were in pain, 
Was it Nephi or Laman? Was it daughters of Ishmael? Or did Jesus build another bow? Do you see life? Please. I have a question. So how would you solve that? I mean, like, where would you get the knowledge or uh, how would you solve that? I mean, how would you approach that? How would you approach that? Because I'm really that it's humble and... Call upon God. Oh, okay. So the answer will be... Help me, Lord. Okay. So here's the answer. The answer first is attitude, right? The answer is attitude. What's your attitude? Oh! I can't do it. Or let's just, how do, let's just build another bow. How do we build another bow? I wonder if I could call someone that could help me with this. Time. Hold on, kids. Just give me a second. I'll, I'll build another bow. And my attitude leads to the positive action. Versus this always happens. I give up. I'm, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to fix the tire. Kids, get out of the car. We're not even going anymore. I give up. And that attitude is going to lead to an action, right? I would say the attitude is the key. What's your attitude? Build a bow, build another bow, or give up because you're, you, you're, it's too heavy. Emma? I'm just going to say, I think more often than not for me, when I encounter a problem like this, my first response is to be more like layman. But then that, I don't start to feel better. That doesn't solve anything. And so it does take some humbling to say, oh, hold on, let me, let me go back. And approach this from a different way. Try to be more Christ-like about this. So then, and that's when I start to feel better. And that's when like more solutions open up because I can see clearer when I'm not, you know, angry and upset and why me type of that. Yep. So sometimes it takes some redirecting, and that's okay. <laughs> sometimes we got to have a layman moment in order to have a Nephi moment. But hopefully, you're learning, and next time, it's less time as layman and more quicker to Nephi. And hopefully when you get old enough, it's more quickly to Nephi. But I'm telling you, this is everyday gospel living. In pain, do you build another bow? Or do you relive every problem you've ever had, anticipate problems in the future, and give up? Now, just so you can see, what was the bat with the, with the, with the um, broken bow? What was the bat? The writings on the Liahona. What was the bat with the death of Ishmael? This, someday I'd like to know this story. What was the bat? What got them going on the right course? Oh, God spoke from heaven and shook the earth and that woke him up. I'd love to know more about that. Now, let's go to the, the, the sixth one is building the boat. Again, we're just skimming over these. You can go back and study. It's a brilliant study to go back and just look through 1 Nephi as this message. Attitude develops character. You can, either do, you can either go layman's way or Nephi's way, but attitude develops character. Now, chapter 17, can I just show you? This is kind of, for me, the pinnacle. When Nephi looked back over the whole journey, when Nephi, from his perspective, up, remember, Nephi's now up here. When he looked back over his whole journey, what was Nephi's attitude? Chapter 13, verse 2. What was his attitude? Looking back on the eight years, 
What was Nephi's attitude? What did he see? So great were the blessings of the Lord that we were happy. How does Laman look back on the exact same eight years? How does Laman look back? From his perspective, what does he say? We should start earlier. Let me start earlier. He hath led us out of the land of Jerusalem, and we have wandered in the wilderness for these many years, and our women have toiled being big with child, and they have borne children in the wilderness and suffered all things save it were death. And it would have been better that they had just died than coming out here and suffering this horrible experience. So Nephi looks back and sees what? So good were the blessings of God. Laman looks back over the exact same eight years and says what? It was so bad I should have died before it happened. Are you Nephi or Laman? Looking back on your life with all the pain you've experienced, do you see how good your life has been and how great your blessings or how bad your life has been? Are you a Nephi or a Laman? <coughs> how far apart are they at this point? Well, what is Laman? Um, where is it? Uh, where is it? I haven't marked it yet, but tell me, what is, what is Laman? He's a murderer. What does he have every intention of doing? Killing his brother. What is Nephi? In the name of Almighty God, I command you to touch me not. For I am filled with the power of God, even unto the consuming of my flesh. And whosoever shall lay his hands upon me shall wither even as a dried reed. And he shall be as not before the power of God. What has Nephi become? I love this one. If God had commanded me to do all things, I could do them. If he should command me that I should say unto this water, be thou earth. It should be earth. If I should say it, it should be done. What has Nephi become and what has Laman become and why? Nephi had an easy life and Laman had a hard life. Why does the Book of Mormon begin with this story? It is the antidote to surviving the latter days. Do you build another bow? Or do you murmur and complain and go back to Jerusalem? Do you look back on the, your life? Do you look back on your life and see how great your blessings have been? Or do you look back on your life and see how miserable things have been? Attitude develops character. I love the bat here. I haven't marked it, but what was the bat? Nephi, touch him, and I'll zap him. 
and he touches. I just, I'd love to see this in real life. Nephi touches them and they are zapped. And what do they say? Tell me what dark, evil layman says after Nephi touches him. We know of a surety that the Lord is with you. For we know that it is the power of the Lord that has shaken us. How far apart are they? Now, one more, the boat. Briefly, you tell me what happens. They tie him up and they're going to let him die. And the only thing that stops them is the threat of death, the storm. Nephi's wife and children cry. Does that soften them? Lehi gives them a lecture. Does that soften them? Just the threat of death. Now, as soon as Nephi is untied, as soon as Nephi is untied, breaks the bands, he grabs the Leahona and calms the storm. Now, I would suggest those two were about the same place when the book began. Those two were worlds apart when the book ends. And they went through the same trials. Now, if you could go back in time and turn your layman experiences into Nephi experiences, where would you be today? So here's what I would propose. From this moment forward, you remember Helaman is a pattern of our day, and this is a commentary on how to succeed in our day. And you remember that that is in the box. That is a critical moment of decision. And either you feel wronged, get wroth, and get angry at God and push against Him, or you humble yourself, call upon the Lord, see, and move forward with faith. The Book of Mormon begins with this story for a reason. It was written for our day. Now, you want to succeed in the latter days? Change your attitude. Change your attitude in pain. Be less like Laman and more like Nephi. The next time you break your bow, the next time you get a flat tire, Next time you break a bone, the next time everything falls apart, just build another bow. Just make another bow. Don't dig up last yesterday's problems, anticipate tomorrow's problems. Don't look back on the eight years and say it was so bad we should have died. Look back on the eight years and say it was so good. How great were the Lord's blessings. I bear you my testimony with all my soul. The Book of Mormon begins with this story for a reason. This isn't buried in the middle or at the end. This is the story we read the most often. There's a reason for that. I think the Lord knew we would start the Book of Mormon, stop, start it again, stop, start it again, stop, start it again. And so he said, hmm, which story should I have them read the most? Not the mission to the Lamanites, not Alma, Nephi and Laman. 
is the story he wanted us to read the most. There's a message there. May you understand that your attitude in pain will shape your character. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This has been class number 13, entitled Choices in Pain. As you ponder what we've talked about today, would you examine the last few months of your life and ask the question, do you typically respond like Nephi or Laman to trials and pain? Do you feel wronged, get wroth, and shake your fist at heaven and get angry that you're going through the trial? Or do you respond more like Nephi and just build another bow or find a solution? Does your attitude match Nephi's or Laman's in your trials? If you find that you have been more like Laman in the past, what can you do to turn things around and respond to pain more like Nephi? Would you discuss with someone in your life or this class or me personally what you can do in your daily life to respond to pain and trial and affliction more like Nephi did.